Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour. Driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition. It's Rosie on the House. Come on in, y'all. The door's wide open. We're here to get you fired up and get you going. Get you educated get you smart. Anything having to do with your house, home, castle, or cabin. That's why Rosie on the House is here for you. And this is our Arizona Hour. It is. We cover all things Arizona. And I think you should enter this Henry Wickenburg look-alike contest. You need to grow that beard out a little bit and <laughs> tint it gray. But I, they've got a Henry Wickenburg look-alike contest coming up the weekend of November 23rd when we'll be celebrating Henry Wickenburg's 200th birthday. And... You'll be there for the live broadcast. As yes, we will. It's going to be fun. I'm still working out details. That is the weekend of one of our rodeos, but it's actually at Morristown, which is only about 12 miles Perfect. away. So trying to figure out how to Perfect. how to balance those. Well, it's a it's a it's a weekend packed with activities. There'll be old fashioned kid games, Native American dancers, food trucks, beer garden, antique car show, a western dance festival. So, it's the weekend of November 23rd in Wickenburg. And they've got a bridge there. It's an old bridge that they abandoned when they made the new bypass route with the turnarounds. Well, they've kept the bridge there, and the bridge has kind of become the focal point for a lot of events. Homecoming was on the bridge. Mm. They've got barbecue on the bridge. They do music on the bridge. And they've made a really nice community center with a little lawn area right next to it, right over the Hacienda. So, occasionally... You're there when the river's actually running, depending on rains. Really depending. Really depending. Really depending. So that's November 23rd. If you're looking for something to do this weekend, you could go run with the burrows. Okay. This is, this is the, a 70... Do, I get, do year, I get to ride on the burrow? See, that's what I don't understand. No. You run with them. You run six miles next to a burrow. This is a 70-year-old tradition that makes its way to Superior, Arizona this weekend. SuperiorArizonaChamber.org, and you could go get a burrow on a leash and run six and a half miles next to it. Hmm. So I... I'd rather do that in Coolidge. Superior has too many hills. <laughs> do they bring in ringers from Oatman? <laughs> it depends yeah, on right. which way you go. Right, right. <laughs> so I think you, if, if it revolves racing, you're more likely to find me at Turf Paradise. It opens up this weekend. I'm Does not, it really? I don't uh, gamble on horse bets, but if I'm going to go to a Pick between running six miles with a burrow or watching a horse race with a rider on it. Probably going to go over to Turf Paradise. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, <clears throat> in our research this week, I think we finally found where the whole global warming concept originally started. We it did? It was in 1928 when icebergs were floating the Santa Cruz River. And that's what birthed the, the ice caps and the polar ice cap was melting. But what really happened was the wagon driver hauling a load of ice to make his delivery forgot to close his tailgate. And when it went through the river, all his ice load fell into the river. Boom. Boom. 
Southern Arizona is our featured Arizona staycation as our winner's going to Patagonia. He was actually there this week, so we'll get an update from him. But this hour, we've got two great guests we're going to get right to. We've got Mohammed Mahmoud with CAP along with Marcus Shapiro. We're covering Water Month all month long in October. And how can you cover water in Arizona and not cover Central Arizona Project Canal? Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> and we're going to start with Mohammed. Now, we had this conversation in the office earlier this week, but since you're here live, we're just going to pretend like it never happened. We're starting fresh. I don't know anything about the Colorado River. Break it down from the upper basin, lower basin, and everything that happens to that water before we start sucking it out at Lake Havasu at the Parker Dam. Sure, absolutely. So the Colorado River Basin provides water to seven major basin states we refer to in the west. In the upper basin, those states are Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico. And then the lower basin includes us in Arizona, uh, California, and Nevada. And I'll just add as well, it's a international river because at the end of the system, towards our border with Mexico, Mexico also receives an allocation as well. And each state allocation is different and the way the water is extracted is a little different? That's correct. Uh, each state has different allocation volumes. Uh, in the lower basin, they're hard numbers. So, for example, Arizona has 2.8 million acre-feet. Uh, upper basin states, it's percentage-based, and part of that is because that's where the water is generated. So it allows for some flexibility if the amount of water that's generated from snowmelt isn't as much as the allocation would be compared to the lower basin. Now, you know you got your first snow this last week. Yes. I, I mean, they were, they were talking three feet in some places in Montana. Well, funny you should say that. I was actually in Montana two weeks ago for, for work outside the Colorado River Basin. It's another, another work uh, uh, engagement. But the two days I was there was the only days it was snowing. So. Wow. <laughs> I guess that was quite a storm. Now, your, your responsibility is the water in the river. Correct. I'm more on the river and water policy side of things. For and safety. then when it gets to Lake Mead, we've got Marcus Shapiro here. And his responsibility is the water in the ditch. Yes. Yes. And right? I, and you I'm got sure. it. So you rely on him to get you everything you need to keep your ditch full. Yeah. If we don't have any supply, we're not pumping anything. <laughs> <laughs> and the, how big is the watershed for the Colorado River? <sighs> I mean, I, I, I'm blanking out on, on the actual uh, – uh, square area, but um, I, I mean, seven, think of se seven, seven of those states I mentioned, they're pretty sizable. And obviously, not the entirety of those states are in the basin, but to put into context, Arizona as a whole state is within the basin for the most part. And I was seeing numbers close to like 3,000 square miles of watershed. And one stat I read, it was equal to about the watershed of the Columbian River. The difference is, 10 times more water flows through the Columbian River than does the Colorado. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's probably most of that Montana snow is where that will end up. Well, actually, so Montana's outside the watershed. Uh, the snow is generated in uh, western Colorado, essentially, so east of the Rock uh, west of the Rockies, sorry. Uh, the southern part of Wyoming on the eastern part of the state, as well as uh, western Utah. And I meant Montana snow will end up in the Columbian. Oh, not, sorry, not the got Colorado. it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> so all that snow is just outside of our watershed for the river. And coming down through, one of, uh, looking at all of it, there's two metropolitans that are outside of the watershed that get the water. I thought, I wonder how they snuck into 
snuck into our watershed on that negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mohammed, what what does your day to day look like? What do you do? Like, if I was you, I'd I'd be fishing. Every single day, checking water. Product research, product <laughs> research. Yeah, check, checking water levels and phoning into the office. I wish I wish I had the time to be able to do that. But what, do, what does your day-to-day look like? You know, to be honest, Rosie, it, 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 it changes from day-to-day. I mean, a lot of it, as you would imagine, I'm behind a desk crunching numbers, running models, doing analysis. A lot of it is also traveling to meetings w- uh, with other representatives from other basin states to talk about water negotiations, water policy issues. Um, other times I'm out on the road presenting on behalf of CAP, you know, educating the public and um, discussing what, what's, what's the newest topics of the day related to our water supply. So day to day, it's very variable, but in a good way. And your obligation is to give Marcus how much water? Uh, as much as we can pump that <laughs> that keeps that keeps the state within its allocation. Now, folks, I, I know it's early, and you may have only had one cup of coffee so far. Marcus, talk about what CAP uses to get the water out of the Colorado River. This, we, will, this will blow your mind. So CAP is the single largest user of electricity or power in the state of Arizona. And so when you divert the water at Lake Havasu, we have six 66,000 horsepower pumps <laughs> that lift water uh, just over 800 feet. The first lift is the biggest lift. And then after that, it gravity flows down uh, to the next pump station. And uh, we keep lifting the water and letting it flow all the way down through Phoenix and finally into Tucson. And the state's allocation at 2.8, the CAP doesn't take all that. Correct. So uh, CAP is interesting in the fact that uh, our right to divert water, our allocation, is actually unquantified. And so we're able to divert uh, everything that isn't used on river or by a higher priority user. So it's 2.8 less uh, what's not diverted is what's available to us to divert. It's kind of a moving target, which keeps it a little exciting. (laughs) But they were smart enough to engineer it that it could take the whole 2.8 in a year should you need to, but you're only taking about 1.5. Yeah, uh, we wouldn't be able to quite take 2.8 in a year. Uh, The capacity of our canal would actually uh, limit that. We generally take 1.5. It might be closer to, uh, you know, 1.8, 2 million that we could actually physically divert in a given year. 800 feet lift elevation, goes through the Buckskin Mountain, tunneled eight miles through the mountains, comes out. Let's just... You know, that, that's mile marker one at the Mark Wolmer pumping station. Take us to the next I mean, the it, next marker. It weighs eight pounds a gallon. How, 8.34, how <laughs> I learned. <laughs> how, how, many, how, how big is the pipe that so, six 66,000 horsepower machines fill? So the, the, there are two pipes, two discharge lines there. They're each 12 foot in diameter. And uh, that takes it up the side of the hill there, up the side of the mountain. And then, uh, like Romeo was saying, it goes into the Buckskin Mountain Tunnel, just, just about seven miles. After that, it opens up into open canal. And the canal is generally a size to take 3,000 feet per second. So right there, uh, when it opens up, it's a 24-foot bottom width and then one and a half to one side slopes. 
And we're generally running somewhere between 15 to 17 feet deep. That first section of canal before the next pumping plant actually opens up and is has an 80-foot bottom width. And that's so that we have a little bit inline storage. Okay. And that allows us uh, to control how we run the pump plant uh, at Mark Wilmer. You know, at Mark Wilmer is where 60% of the power is used. And so that inline storage gives us some ability to do daily shaping for our energy needs. So you're saying you're a, a super cooler as well. <laughs> could, could be. <laughs> Tuned up and rolling. It's the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. And joined in studio with Mohammed Ma- Mahmoud and Marcus Shapiro of Central Arizona Project Canal. And I was joking about super cooling. That's a game we play with our homes to save electricity. And that's what that extra storage does for you at the other side of the buckskin, that deep area of the storage, so you don't have to constantly turn on a 66,000 horsepower pump. Exactly. <laughs> we're we're uh, constantly optimizing every day to see how we can use the least amount of energy and get them, and, and most economically um, to get the biggest bang for our buck. So moving through the system, what's the next significant point? So uh, like we were just kind of talking about a little bit, in 1985, the first deliveries were made to the Harquahala uh, Harquahala Valley, and that was for irrigation use. And that was just because they were kind of first in line in terms of building that canal from west to east. Uh, and then after that, the system uh, was built in different reaches. Uh, construction began in the 70s, but went all the way into the early 90s. And so as more uh, sections of canal or reaches of canal were built, uh, then more deliveries were made eventually to municipal customers and others as well. Uh, in 1994, uh, the new Waddell Dam uh, was con- fi- finished and completed, and that allowed us to use uh, Lake Pleasant as a, a storage reservoir, which also plays into how we use power. It allows us to uh, pump and fill Lake Pleasant uh, during the fall and winter months. Off-peak. <laughs> Off-peak, exactly. <laughs> and, and then once the reservoir gets full... Uh, we'll wait and release that to meet uh, deliveries, which are primarily downstream uh, of Lake Pleasant during the high demand months, the summer months, and then draw the lake down. Uh, and that allows us also then to use less energy to move the water from the west. We're still u- using some, but we can go into a, a half plant outage out west and do some of our maintenance um, even during the highest uh, demand uh, times of the year. Now, Lake Pleasant is built on the Awa Fria. Correct. Y'all, the engineers spent a significant amount of time making sure storm runoff didn't end up in the canal. But the one exception is the Awa Fria that flows into Pleasant. Is there any uh, significance to the amount of water that flows in there that relates to the water you know, that, we're, that we're pumping out of the Colorado? Or is that offset so insignificant it's not really worth considering yeah the the runoff from the agua free is pretty flashy some years you can get real big uh storm events that will run quite a bit in excess of a hundred thousand acre feet um in a year and then there's other years where there's only five or six thousand acre feet that come in off the agua fria so in terms of the total storage in lake pleasant uh which maxes out at just over eight hundred thousand acre feet it's a pretty um minimal amount 
So, but it is interesting to watch. And when the lake's getting full, especially in the spring months, when we get a runoff event, we're watching pretty closely because we are responsible for the flood operations there. Uh, and we don't want, our goal is not to spill any water. We've spent money pumping it in there. We don't want to just let it right back out. Uh, and also uh, for the protection and, uh, of uh, anyone downstream on the Agua Fria, making sure that we're uh, responsible in managing uh, the Lake Pleasant operations. Now, when you drive south of the dam on Carefree Highway, there's two canals you pass. One CAP, and that's always full of water. Then there's like... I think it's called the Beardsley Canal that sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Is that something y'all manage as well that works with that overflow? We don't directly manage the Beardsley Canal. That's actually the Maricopa Water District. But we do coordinate with them uh, quite a bit. So uh, because the original Waddell Dam was actually uh, damming the river and that was storage for the Maricopa Water District, we share storage space in Lake Pleasant. And there are times they actually have a turnout up a little further upstream in the canal, and often they will take uh, their deliveries directly. They have water in the lake in their storage account, but they'll actually take water directly out of the CAP canal. And then on paper, we account the water <laughs> and move it uh, between accounts. And so that, that makes it so we don't have to pump as much water up into the lake. Uh, and so it also benefits in savings for energy. But then there are times for maintenance and other reasons uh, that we will water up that Beardsley Canal right there at Carefree Highway uh, in order to make their deliveries out of the lake. So that's Lake Pleasant. And you say the old Waddell Dam. That's a pretty interesting story because the, the original one's still there. You just can't see it unless you're a scuba diver. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's underwater. I haven't been down there myself, but I'm... I'm pretty sure it's there. <laughs> and I, looking online, it looks like there's actually people that take you on tours of that. So that'd be pretty pretty neat to explore. I'm not a scuba diver. I'm, I'm above water. <laughs> like Rosie said, fishing. I'll take something uh, out, but I'm not going in. <laughs> well, I tell you what, given the current news across the Southwest, I have one more thing to be thankful for. That the CAP doesn't get their power from PG&E. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is changing because the Navajo coal generation plant's going away, which was the primary source at Mark Walmer. And now it's it's being decommissioned, what, in another month or two? Yeah, it's right around the corner. Is the water going to, the CAP going to stop flowing? Are we going to have to get like a bucket line going up that 800 feet? <laughs> My kids think that would be fun, but no, no, we've got other plans. It's our wide open road. The Rosie on the House Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford. And I blew right through segment number two where we're supposed to do our true or false giveaway for Arizona State Park passes. True or false? People in Tucson are quite familiar with Father Keenan. Kino. Kino. But he was actually not the first one to the region. Marcos Deniza preceded him by nearly 150 years. True or false? If you think that's true, text TRUE to 411923. If that's false, text FALSE, and we'll pick a random right winner at the end of this programming segment. We're featuring Patagonia as our staycation destination this month in our Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. And there was a 1958, an officer named Sylvester Mori purchased a mine 
uh, it was real creative. It was called the Patagonia Mine until oh. he bought it, and he, he came up with a really creative name, uh, Maury, after he bought it, employed 100 miners and dug out $1.5 in lead and silver ore before he was arrested because that really inconvenient thing called the Civil War. He was arrested as a yeah. Confederate sympathizer. And while he was rotting away in jail, they plundered the mine, and it's now a ghost town. I wonder which one it is. <laughs> There's a few of them up there. Kentucky Camp, Harshaw. That's a, that is I, a I, beautiful corner of Arizona. I think what I just heard is we've got to schedule a Rosie on the House mining expedition. That's to it. To go discover it. That's I, it. I think that's what I heard. All right. I'm in. Back to the CAP. We're moving past Lake Pleasant to our next significant feature, which would be, I'd say, my favorite's the, the intersection with the Salt River. Yeah, the Salt River Project, CEP and the Salt River Project uh, intersect uh, right at the Salt River. We call it uh, the Interconnect Facility. And so... Uh, stop one minute. Yeah. And I want the listeners to understand the complication. At that point, you're taking how much water uh, west to east? How much? As much as, as, much as 3,000 cubic feet per second. Okay. Sometimes even a little bit more than that. So... That's exactly perpendicular of the flow of the Salt River, which is flowing at what rate? Uh, the Salt River, it's a little at bit, the... <laughs> it's controlled by the SRP, all their yeah. reservoirs. And so that's really dependent on demands. But it can be a couple thousand CFS too. So we've got to take water perpendicular across each other. Yeah. And come out the other side with as much as we put in. Yeah, and we don't mix at all. And you don't mix. So that's cool. <clears throat> there, you know, you might be familiar with uh, a si- someone siphoning gas, or a, just using a siphon to move. Tell us, oh, Marcus, water. how familiar are you with siphoning <laughs> gas? I've never done it myself, but I've heard that it can be done. <laughs> so I'm I'm more familiar with siphoning water. Uh, so we'll we'll siphon uh, all three thousand cfs. Uh, under any major river that the canal crosses and so uh, the salt river when we go under that all of that flow goes into 21 foot diameter pipe a single 21 foot diameter pipe that goes under the river so that we're not intermixing with the salt river flow and then it pops up on the other side back into open canal and then we do have a delivery point or a turnout right there where we can actually deliver water from the CAP canal down into SRP's system right there at the granite reef diversion dam. How far underground is that pipe? How far under river do you have to go to not you know, interrupt what I'm, I'm sure most rivers in Arizona have a significant amount of water that goes underground. We never see the surface water. Yeah. How far underground do you have to go for that? You know, each each river, it varies. And even on the siphon itself, it varies. So uh, when the siphon starts first going underground, um, it might only be 10, 20, 30 feet. But then there are points on the Salt River siphon where uh, to get down into the siphon, uh, I believe, is you know, getting close to 100 feet, a couple hundred feet even. So usually, though, you're just trying to get down below where the river won't scour out if there's yeah. any flood event and cause any damage to, to the, the pipe. pipe. Wow. Yeah, I don't imagine you just go down to uh, Arizona Central Plumbing Supply and get a 21-foot pipe for or replacement parts for it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't bought one recently myself. How often, so. how often do you have to look at that pipe? You know, we try to get in there. One of the tricky parts about it is that we're always watered up. 
And so we actually have an outage, a maintenance outage, uh, that's starting at the end of this month where we're going to get in and do some work on recoding uh, that pipe. And it's been the last time that we were really in there, um, just taking a little bit was about 10 years ago. And then it's been more like 20 years since we did any wow. significant work in there. That's taken a couple of years of coordination with our customers and with SRP um, so that everyone will still have water while we take that out of service for just about six weeks. And I just want to add, just want to add, Marcus can probably elaborate, is we have the capability of putting water into the SRP system at that point, but not vice versa. That's correct. And why is that? You don't have a straw. <laughs> you don't have a straw in that river. <laughs> you, you know, really, the only reason why that is is uh, just because it would be it's about a it's a good drop 100 180 feet i believe down from the canal down into the srp system so you'd have to put some pretty significant pumps wow. um to to get water back out of the srp system and back in we do a lot of uh uh we coordinate on exchanges water some of the More that customers paperwork you were talking about exactly <laughs> all on paper but there is there is talk of uh looking at someday putting uh water from SRP into CAP. And I interrupted your train of thought, but I wanted you to finish that because I think that is so cool. You were saying some of the CAP customers you know, uh, indirectly get their water f from CAP, but they're really coming out of the salt and y'all just recharge what Salt River pumped out to your customer. So there's lots of variations on how that works. We have some customers that don't they don't have any uh, infrastructure that is along the CAP canal, but they do have infrastructure on the SRP canals. And so SRP will do what uh, we commonly call wheeling. They will wheel CAP water. So we will deliver uh, water into the SRP system at that point. And then that water enters the SRP system and it gets wheeled uh, to a CAP customer further downstream. That's so cool. All right, we've who, got. Who would have thought it took that just to be able to have water at your shower in the morning? I mean to tell you. Okay, so we've got the CAP now on the other side of the Salt River. Let's go back up to the Colorado River because Muhammad still has to deliver his one and a half million cubic feet? Yeah, acre, million feet. acre feet. Acre feet. Acre acre feet. feet. Yeah, acre feet. Acre feet. And you, we're talking about your daily activity is sitting in front of a computer at a desk looking at models. Mm -hmm. I mean, how far out are you modeling? I mean, can you guarantee, Marcus, in three years you're going to give him his one and a half million? I, I can never guarantee that, <laughs> but I can, uh, I can provide maybe some high confidence okay. uh, in those results. But we do... Our analysis, we can project out to 50, 60 years. Obviously, the further... Really? You, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a model, right? Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a representation of reality. But um, obviously, the further you go out, there's less uh, confidence. There's more uncertainty with the results. But I think more of the certainty is in within the two-year window okay. um, uh, because it's a, like I said, it's a snow-driven system. We have reservoirs, so... If there is, you know, uh, let's say a, a very dry winter year, you don't necessarily get a shock to the system immediately because of the storage we have in those reservoirs. It's if you have several dry years in a row coupled with maybe lower reservoir volumes, then you start to see that impact trickle down. Well, um, there's the second reason I want his job. Because <laughs> if you're not fishing, then you're testing the depth of the powder 
at Vail back bowls. <laughs> you're either skiing or, you're either skiing or fishing. Well, am I too old to start getting educated for your job? Not at all, not at all. Like I said on the break. How do you, you get your job? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, uh, in terms People of People ask us that often. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a background in, in hydrology and water resources. Uh, I guess maybe that's a start. Wow. Yep. Interesting. Modeling forward, you know, what the Colorado River is going to have in it. Because we've just entered tier zero, right? We or, will, we're about, or we're about to. Right. So, so First time ever. Yes. So tier zero uh, will begin next year. It's associated with the drought contingency plan, which was an agreement, a framework of, of voluntary contributions in Lake Mead or, or uh, uh, voluntary sort of preemptive reductions on top of potential shortage reduction. So it's a way to store more water in Lake Mead because – how do we determine shortage on the river is connected to the reservoir, uh, the water elevation in Lake Mead Reservoir. So if it starts to go lower, there are certain elevations which trigger reductions to Arizona as well as uh, uh, other basin states in the lower basin. So tier zero, it's official, will be next year. And so Ooh. that implies we'll have a first reduction in Arizona's water supply. Now that's what we're allowed to take out. Mm -hmm. And once someone... Don't remember exactly, but someone said, you know, it's really not going to affect us because we're not taking our full allocation anyway. Right. So actually, prior to even next year, prior to, to currently, we've always been conserving water. We've always been involved in different conservation programs where we're storing water in Lake Mead. So generally speaking, that amount that we would take that reduction for, we've already been conserving that amount. So it won't necessarily change how we operate per se because we've always been operating with a little bit less when you consider all the different conservation activities we've been involved in. And on that conservation, there's a, a, the CHARD program that y'all have. Did I say that right? C-R, it's another acronym, uh, but it's the, the CAP Groundwater Recharge. Are you C-A-G-R-D? Yeah. Okay. The Central Arizona Groundwater Replenishment District. Um, yes. That's, that's, that's a, a, another function of CAP. And how this is, how that, I guess that department program works is, CAGRD helps uh, helps Arizona to be able to continue its development. So one of their primary functions is, um, in Arizona, per the 1980 Groundwater Management Code, because prior to us being able to get the Colorado River supply to Central Arizona via the CAP Aqueduct, we were heavily reliant in Central Arizona on groundwater. So to limit that reliance on groundwater to, to prevent further subsidence, um, we are shifted to the CAP supply. One of the rules of the code is that uh, new development has to have a 100-year assured water supply. What that basically means is the water supply that's being used for new development has to come from a renewable supply, a.k.a. in our case, primarily the Colorado River. So what the CAGRD does is allow new development to occur by securing water supplies from the Colorado River. So if a, uh, if a developer or home builder comes, wants to develop in a new area, they tap into groundwater, likely if they're further out from our system, and then the CAGRD enables them to, uh, to do that by then pumping or replenishing uh, that, CA, that Colorado River water into those aquifers that those, the, the new development has pumped out. You know, I travel the country 
quite a bit, visiting with other builders. And their question is, when is water going to stop Arizona's growth? And I almost hate telling them the truth. I, I, having been here since 1966, mm-hmm. I'd like to say, well, we can't take any more. We can't take any more people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're capped out. But Arizona is in much better position than the states all the way around us. Yeah, and, and I think part of that is because we, at least in the Colorado River Basin, we're sort of a junior priority holder. So we were all, we always knew that if there was a shortage, we'd be cut in the lower basin and we'd be cut the most. And so for a very long time, we've always been very proactive about how we manage our water efficiently, how we store water, how we augment water. We even have water augmentation programs as well as water conservation programs. So we're prepared for a shortage because we know that if it happens, we would be hit the hardest. Well, it's an, an incredible statistic to try to understand is in Arizona with 7 million plus people, we're using the same amount of water as we were in 1960 with 80% less people. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge testament to you guys and all the engineers that have come together to put our water situation in the great light that it's in. The tank is full, and we're moving through the Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the house. Well, you might hear the lonesome whistle of a steam train coming through Arizona next week. No, you're not dreaming. You're going to see the Union Pacific's big boy, the 4014, chugging across Arizona. I thought we'd take a moment to talk to Tim McMahon, the corporate relations person at the Union Pacific Railroad in Omaha, Nebraska. Tim, good morning. Hey, Gary. How are you? Doing fine, and it's always a treat to see the big boy coming through town. It is a massive steam locomotive, and it's hard to wrap my head around the fact that it runs on two things, water and heat. It's the biggest steam locomotive in the world. Can you tell us a little bit more about Big Boy, the history of it, going back to when it was built? Well, I can tell you that there were 25 Big Boys built uh, exclusively for Union Pacific. The first one was delivered in 1941. Uh, Locomotives were 132 feet long. They weighed 1.2 million pounds. Oh, man. Because of their great length, the the frames of the big boys were hinged or articulated. This allows them to negotiate curves. It's uh, it's one of only eight uh, what we call 4,000-class steam locomotives still in existence, and, of course, it's the only one still operating. And the reason it is operating right now coming across the West is? It has to do with our uh, 150th anniversary of the driving of the Golden Spike. The train departed on Cheyenne on May 4th after a very grand christening ceremony at the Cheyenne Depot Museum and then made its way across. And on May 9th, uh, May 9th ceremony in Ogden uh, Union Station, the big boy and another steam locomotive we have, the uh, Living Legend number 844, met reenacting that famous photo you you may have seen uh, at the Transcontinental Road where the two locomotives meet, very much like that image from Promontory Summit on May 10th, uh, 1869. That's right. And it's coming through Arizona next week. I can tell you on Tuesday, it will make a stop in Yuma. And on Wednesday, Mohawk, which is actually uh, Interstate 8 eastbound rest area for a few minutes. Uh, and then it will make a stop at Gila Bend, Casa Grande overnight. But to see Big Boy, you're going to have to go Friday to Tucson. And can you tell us more about that, Tim? That's right. It's going to be arriving in Tucson. At, uh, look at the schedule, which is at our website, upsteam.com. 
It's arriving uh, at 10, 10 a.m. Uh, Mountain Standard Time uh, on the 17th at Tucson's Historic Train Depot at uh, 400 North Tool Avenue. It'll be there for about a half hour, and then it's going to move to where it's going to be on display Friday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, at East Silver Lake Road and East Fairlane Stravenue. So when it's on display, folks will be able to walk right up to the locomotive and see just how huge it is. And we'll also have uh, or experience the Union Pacific Rail Car uh, open for tours. That's a converted baggage car that's like a museum on steel wheels. Oh, wow. A multimedia walkthrough exhibition that provides sort of a glimpse at our past. It's, everything is free. And then uh, the big boy departs the next morning uh, on the 19th at 7 a.m. Go to up.com. You can track big boy as he's moving across the West and also see the schedule again. Hey, let me add one more thing. For folks that are going to go out there and, and take photos of it along the way, photographers who just want to see it rolling along the road, please be safe. We ask folks to stay at least 25 feet away from the track at all time. Rail operations are unforgiving and they can be dangerous. We just hope that you could stay away from the track and if you see somebody doing something and safe tell them to stay away from the track tim mcmahan with the union pacific thanks for joining us this morning and whoa, whoa. yeah thanks for having us <laughs> all right <laughs> woo, woo. i like that gary woo, woo. <laughs> oh i'm looking forward to seeing it again and because your uh your dad was with the rail southern pacific yeah for... and grandpa too oh wow yeah so great so we'll, we'll have to get to that someday. How do, how do you, uh, a third-generation rail worker, end up in radio? <laughs> Long story. Long story. <laughs> that, Long story. <laughs> that'll be an hour of itself coming up. We're wrapping up our interview with CAP. And, gentlemen, I, we've been sitting here trying to talk about what few little things can we fit in this last segment because we could talk about this all day. <laughs> all day and plenty of other days. Plenty of other days, yeah. too. Uh how long the, the, control the control room. The control room. I mean, you've got consumers issuing water orders. I want this much. I want this much. All the way down at the terminus down in Tucson, coming back up to 300 miles? Is it? You got it. Just over 300 it's miles. It's a 300-mile concrete ditch. So you've got people putting in orders, and then a monsoon hits Pinal County and drops three-quarters of an inch. And then they all say, oh, we don't need that water. I mean, how do y'all manage that? It keeps, it's always exciting. I bet it is. You know, uh, one of our control room operators, uh, he, he can describe it as sheer, sheer moments of terror sometimes when some of those <laughs> emergency situations come up. But really, a lot of planning goes into it. We receive orders from our customers uh, for the following year, so we're just getting those now. And then we'll put together an annual operating plan that we can use uh, to guide us month by month over the next year. But then real time, we have to look at uh, what our customers call in day ahead. Uh, one of the cool things about the canal is we keep it full, and that basically gives us a lot of flexibility in uh, delivering quickly. CAP, we're going to have to have you all back. That's all there is to it. Got to have them back. <laughs>